A good Wednesday to you and welcome to Real Talk on this May 26th. Ryan Jesperson, your host, alongside Sarah Hoyles, Samuel Brooks, a great show in store. I want to remind you that every show we do is presented by our title sponsor, the team at Bitcoin Well. Some really interesting things going on in crypto these days. And of course, that's the team that helps us keep an eye on it. You may have caught Adam O'Brien on the show just a couple of Fridays ago. We're talking about Elon Musk. That was just this past Friday. It's, it's the Friday after a long weekend. It always gets a little like before, hazy. No, no, what I mean is it's the Wednesday after. I'm in a bit of a wind wobble out of the gates here. I'm still sort of, I'm not going to lie, in the long weekend mindset. You got this, Ryan. You got when this. When I woke up, the alarm went off this morning. I was the, I was the, I was the bad partner. Uh, Carrie, my, my beloved wife, my spouse, my soulmate, did not have any reason to get up early today. She didn't have to. Wyatt, our little man, was sleeping in. He doesn't have school today. And she was able to, to relax finally, except for I was the guy hitting snooze and then four minutes later, snooze and then four minutes later, snooze. And I hit snooze for just under 30 minutes. And I think that later today when we check in, I'm going to be in serious trouble for how I conducted myself today. But I'm still in long weekend. I am. I'm sorry. I'm still in the line, long weekend headspace. So the Friday before the long weekend, Adam O'Brien joins us and we started talking about Elon Musk and the, the puppet master. And is he really controlling crypto markets? And and if so, how can anybody have any confidence or faith in them? And, and Adam kind of sorted it out and gave us his opinion on it. And well, that's what they do. You can find them. Bitcoin. Well, that is under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So we want to start every show with positivity, right? Because we know that, um, you know, people tune in and we're all starting our days together, whether you're catching us live, if you're streaming us uh, on the audio app Mixler, whether you're joining us live on YouTube or checking out this show later in the day. We always want your interaction with with Real Talk to be uplifting and positive and meaningful. And then, of course, we'll sink our teeth into stuff, too. And and sometimes we'll get a little bit uncomfortable like we did yesterday with our anti-racism roundtable. But every once in a while, I start a show with a little bit of a bee in my bonnet and I'm and I'm actually categorizing it that way to make a smirk just a little bit because the truth is is I'm exasperated and I'm actually a little bit pissed off and I know that a lot of you are too uh, you don't have to be from Alberta you don't have to be from Western Canada you don't have to be an Edmonton Oilers fan to be super fucking annoyed right now at the fact that Oilers young star Ethan Bear he's a young defenseman he happens to be indigenous is reportedly receiving a whole bunch of racist messages, or at least a few, but they're sure resonating. Uh, this per his girlfriend who posted a, a message, this message on, on social media just the other day. I don't have to tell you, probably. We talked about it a bit yesterday. The Oilers swept in the first round of the playoffs by the Winnipeg Jets and, and a tough loss, obviously, in four straight triple overtime in the fourth game. Well, it sounds like the young defenseman is receiving racist messages. His girlfriend says Ethan has received numerous, numerous racist messages and comments to to hide behind a screen is cowardly. But to use stereotypes against him as an indigenous person is dehumanizing and awful. She says we will not be silenced. We will we will not accept this behavior. It, it's 2021. We are all equal and this needs to stop. She says Ethan has broken countless barriers as an indigenous man to make it to the national hockey league he's human 
We understand there is criticism, but there is no room for racism. This from his partner, Oilers, former captain, uh, a blue liner himself, a defenseman himself. He's a Stanley Cup champion. You know, he, he hoisted the grail with the Boston Bruins. Andrew Ferentz stepped up on this, and I thought he nailed it pretty well. He says Ethan Bear is a very good hockey player. Lift him up, and he'll be an integral part of any success the Oilers have in the future. More importantly, Ethan Bear is an incredible human. And if you're sending racist remarks his way, you're just a dickhead, and hockey doesn't want you. That from Stanley Cup champion and former Oilers captain, a good friend of this show, Andrew Ferentz. I don't have a whole lot to say more than that, except to use this platform to acknowledge what's going on, to indicate how, how annoyed I am at it. But we can't just be annoyed with racism, can we? I mean, what did we learn from this roundtable just yesterday? What a great conversation for a full hour. Now, of course, the circumstances were lousy, weren't they? You know, we're, we're observing the one year anniversary of a, of a black man being murdered in front of uh, horrified witnesses in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, by now former police officer Derek Chauvin, who was convicted, you know, of murder in that killing a year ago yesterday. Now, we talked about being uncomfortable and we talked about putting ourselves out there and we talk about being allies and and what does that really mean and i guess what it means in this circumstance although i i have so many audience members so many real talkers you guys keep me in the loop i really appreciate it you tag me on tweets you send us emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com you say hey is this story on your radar have you heard about this can we make sure we talk about this we get a ton of those messages every single day and i saw this one and, and you know of course you know your heart just kind of drops I don't know Ethan Bear very well personally, but I've sure seen him around the rink a lot. Now, here's the thing. On on one hand, I want to tell you what what an absolutely outstanding young man he is, what a class act he is, how I've seen him treat little kids around him, especially if there's an indigenous kid around him, that connection, the way that they idolize Ethan Bear. You've seen these specialty jerseys have been released by by collectors that have uh, his 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 surname in in uh, in Cree and indigenous language just looks absolutely stunningly beautiful if if you want to see one on display i happen to know that there if you want to go get your growlers filled i happen to know there's one right in the front lobby of arcadia brewing co if you haven't seen the sweater yet it just looks magnificent and so many oilers fans and so many indigenous people so many hockey fans across different uh i don't want to say barriers but different communities um you know ethnic communities different backgrounds have have all rallied around this wonderful story of ethan bear essentially a local kid uh, that's grown up as a prospect in this organization and, and is now a young star that, you know, I, I want to tell you what a great guy he is, but I but I don't I don't need to do that. I don't need to to explain why Ethan Bear shouldn't have to deal with this bullshit. Right. It's not it's not because he's a great guy. It's not because he's a really skilled hockey player. It's not because he's an Edmonton oiler or, or he's made it to the NHL. As a matter of fact, it has nothing to do with any of that. And if Ethan Bear's getting it at the pro level, what are players getting or, or, or what are average, ordinary, everyday folks getting all the time? You know, Ethan Bear, is a, as a young defenseman, makes mistakes. It's a, there's a steep learning curve. They always say in pro sports, in, in hockey in particular, goaltenders and, 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 and defense typically take a little bit longer to develop. And sometimes under the pressure, they make these decisions and you go, ah, and 
like Rob Blake used to make him when he was young and Chris Pronger used to make him when he was young. I don't know if Nicholas Lidstrom ever made mistakes. I'm not sure, but you get the idea. So Ethan Barrison to pass up the middle and, and there was a long change and the change sort of, you know, in a way you could argue created a two on one and Kyle Connor snipes a goal and the game's over and people are obviously mortified. People are so disappointed. They were hoping that the oil could win that one in triple OT and and move on to game five and hopefully climb out of this. Right. So everyone's upset. But the, but the fact that for some people uh, like Ethan's girlfriend said there, you know, like he's a person, he's a human, you know, the, the barriers that he's overcome as an indigenous man are just absolutely remarkable. There are some indigenous players in the National Hockey League, but not a ton. Right. Carey Price, TJ Oshie. I think of Jordan Tutu off the top of my head, one of my favorite players of all time, just an absolute wrecking ball out there. There have been indigenous players that have, that have come before and that have broken barriers. I think down in Calgary, our, our audience members down in Calgary will, will remember at the turn of the of the century. You remember Brent Dodging Horse and, and, and how he played with Pavel Brendel for the for the Calgary Hitman for so long and then sort of had a brief stint with the Calgary Flames trying to crack that roster. And I'll never forget growing up in that city that there was like an entire section of fans that were coming in from First Nation communities all, all around the city. And some of them had traveled a great distance because it meant so much for them to see a surname like Dodging Horse, to see a player as skilled as Brent Dodging Horse, to be to be trying to crack the pros. How many stories are there of that? And we don't hear the stories. We don't necessarily all the time understand the, the types of things that might be happening behind the scenes. Who is it that we were talking with last just last week, Sarah? I'm putting you on the spot here, but we were talking about, you know, black athletes, black hockey players and and some of them having, you know, bananas hurled. I can't even remember who I was talking to. Do you remember? It was one of our interviews last week. It was our roundtable, actually, on Friday where we were talking about barriers to sports. Right. And so, I mean. Oh, Kwame Damon Mason. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Thanks. for Yeah. And so looking at that, I mean, it just it's not gone away. And I think it's just. Our audience probably knows very, very well uh, just exactly, you know, how this is. Well, it it basically illustrates how systemic it is. It is built an entire network. So it's our sports. We're seeing it in the National Hockey League. We're seeing it in amateur sport. You know what's, you know, I mean, is just absolutely lousy. And I mean, I guess I could sit here and go on this sort of profanity lace tirade on all these racist idiots, the dickheads that Andrew Ferentz referred to them as quite rightfully so quite well deserved. But I just, you know, how 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 pathetic are you? I mean, how lame are you? How, how really greasy and pathetic are you? That if Ethan Bear had, had wound up that big clapper from the blue line and had put one top shelf to end that overtime, you'd be singing his praises, right? You'd be his biggest fan, wouldn't you? You know, you'd talk about what a great young defenseman he is with offensive instincts. We got to make sure we pair him up with a guy who can be, you know, defensively a little bit more stay at home so Ethan can, right? You'd, you'd, you'd talk like that. But the minute... That he, that he that he that he like changes the minute that there's a shift the minute that he sends up you know the minute he makes a mistake or what might you might characterize as a mistake you go at his race you go at his ethnicity you go at, you, you you take you sharpen the knives and just get him but in the rib cage like really you're not a hockey fan like Andrew Ferentz said hockey doesn't want you 
So what does it mean to be an ally and 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 what how should a show like this or how should a person like me or how should you, quite frankly, respond to this? Because I sit here and I look at it and I go, ah, for Pete's sake, like, really, I'm going to open it. Really? Like what needs to be said here? Like like what regular person what decent human that's going to catch this podcast or listen to this show is going to hear a message from me and go like oh you're right we shouldn't attack him based on racial like you know that and probably most of your friends know that so what's the proper response i mean in my mind it's to number one indicate that it's unacceptable and, and number two to acknowledge that we're sick and tired of it you know sick and tired of the dumb comments you know Targeting the LGBTQ2S plus community. Sick of the dumb comments about ethnicity. Sick of the dumb comments about girls in sports. Of, you, you get the idea? Like bigger picture? I don't know. All it takes is a little wrinkle of the nose in person if it's your, if it's your buddy. Come on, man. Right? Guy says something on the tee box. Nah, man. You know, that's not cool, actually. Make the people feel uncomfortable. Have the uncomfortable moment. I just, it just, it's, it's so demoralizing. To hear that a guy, a proud young man, I mean, Sam, can you call up that that PSA that Ethan Baird did? I love this is just one. This is just shared by a, a Real Talk audience member that tagged me in this. This is just one thing that he's done. Ethan Baird's not, he's actually kind of a, strikes me as a bit of a shy guy. He's not the guy that goes around and trumpets all of his involvement and everything he's doing. But but look at this. This, this I think it's Kathy said, you know, he's such a great role model. I love him. And he goes on and. I mean, you know, he's just he's encouraging kids to, to be the best you can. And, and he's so proud of his heritage and as he should be. So what do I do? I guess I spend the first 14 minutes of the show scolding a bunch of morons. But listen, this is the type of thing where we have an opportunity not just to call this stuff out, but we also have a real opportunity to lift people up and not just Ethan Bear. Maybe you feel like it might be uncomfortable actually to reach out to somebody that you know based on on race, ethnicity, religion, political perspective, whatever, whatever it is about them where you where you suspect that maybe they're getting piled on a little bit or maybe their life hasn't been the easiest. And maybe today's the day that you just send them a bit of an encouraging note. Imagine that out of nowhere. Somebody's having a lousy day or maybe they're having a decent day and all of a sudden you send them a note and boom, all of a sudden you, you turn their day around, you, you turn it into a great day. Maybe we can all resolve to that. Call it out where you see it. Take a stand. Remind Ethan Bear in particular how valued he is as a member of the community. First of all, as a person and second of all, as a bright young star on the Oilers blue line. The team at Park Power powers our hashtag Real Talk RJ. It's what we're keeping an eye on when you want to get in touch with the show live when we're on the air, of course. Sarah Hoyles is monitoring it along with our live chat and then through the day as the podcast drops and all of our subscribers start to download it. We love it. That's when the hashtag really heats up in the afternoons. Park Power's got some great tips on electrical safety and, and, and efficiency as well. Steps you can take in your own home. Follow them on social media. Check out their Instagram. And when you go to parkpower.ca, if you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK, they're going to give you $70, 70 bucks off your first bill. Also wanted to remind you that the team at Alta Moving and Storage understands that moving is, is, is a big event. It can be an emotional event. It can be a taxing event. They're family-owned. They get the, the family reality around the move coming up for you this, this spring into this summer. They're problem solvers. 
their whole goal is to take the stress out of the experience. They got these pod style moving containers. They drop off so you can you can load everything up at, at your leisure. You don't have a, a big rig idling on the street, blocking traffic. You're super stressed out. It's not their style. They can hang on to that pod style container for a while, store it for you if you need that, or hey, drop it right off at the new location. Then, you know, take your time unloading it again. More details at altastorage.ca. Make sure you tell them that Real Talk sent you. I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation. Uh, just a while ago, just a, a few weeks ago, we spoke with uh, city planner Brent Totterin and a researcher out of the University of Calgary, Dr. Yunjung Lee. We talked about demographics and city planning, city building, in particular, aging cities and aging communities. Well, we're going to focus on a different demographic or maybe different barriers, different trends now when it comes to our big cities, how they're built. And, and we'll find out if there's a, a medium or smaller size city angle on this as well. Dr. Leslie Kern is the author of two books on gender and cities, including the new Feminist City a field guide. She's an associate professor of geography and environment at Mount Allison University, where she's also the director of women's and gender studies. Dr. Kern, thanks so much for making time for us today and welcome to Real Talk. Thank you. It's great to be here. What, what is, what's a feminist city? Are there, are there traits that are immediately recognizable? Well, unfortunately, I don't think the feminist city exists yet, but when it does, I think what we would see is increased safety for everybody in the city, accessibility, and an environment that values the kind of care work that has so traditionally been um, put onto women's shoulders and hidden away in the private space of the home. So can you give us an idea? So people, I mean, people will be listening to this or watching this from different communities. Obviously, someone in Toronto will have a different perception than someone in Prince George, B.C. Um, what would be the things or, or some of the traits that we might note uh, that you could start mentioning? Now we go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In our own cities that would stand in the way of equity in this context. Sure. Well, for people who take public transportation, for instance, you know that most of the um, subway and bus lines are designed to carry people from residential neighborhoods into the central business district, kind of nine to five linear journey. And that has worked quite well for men around whom that transit system has been designed. But all around the world, women's journeys tend to be much less linear. They're dropping the kids at school. They're picking up something for dinner on the way home. They're going to their paid job. So those transit systems don't work as well for them. We also know that women tend to express a lot of fear in urban public space and experience harassment there as well. So that's something that um, most women will, will, you know, be nodding their heads and go, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen that. Uh, but anybody who's paying attention would, would notice that happening as well. Um, you might even notice it in very seemingly small things like what's the temperature of your office building? It's usually far too cold for women, but just right for men. Unfortunately, we'll have to tell you that the temperature in our office building is stifling hot. That's not us doing our part, though. That's just a fluke. But <laughs> we would do our part if we could. It's um, May is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So obviously, I think there's going to be more of these conversations happening. When, when we talk about awareness of sexual assault, a lot of it uh, or you know, a significant portion of it anyway, should probably be focused on preventative steps or investments that cities can make. Is, is this something that you've been studying or keeping an eye on? Absolutely. Uh, women have been arguing for a long time that women's safety needs have been quite secondary in much of city planning. And we've had to kind of push 
cities, whether that's through protest movements like Take Back the Night and so on, to incorporate safety strategies that matter to women and to actually listen to women, to not just assume that, oh, if you put up more streetlights, everything will be fine, but to pay attention to the kind of social environment of the city, uh, who's out on the street, what kind of places are, are open, when are transit and bus lines running, what are the sight lines like, all of these things contribute to either the experience of fear or hopefully the experience of safety when they're done right. Do you believe that, I mean, when it comes to city building or when it comes to the city planning process uh, across the country, or even around the world, have you seen a city or, or have you seen some communities taking steps where, where you would believe that there is that intuitive design where people are actually paying attention to this and, and, and putting their money where their mouth is when it comes to designing the communities? Yeah, a number of cities, especially in Europe, have adopted what's called a gender mainstreaming approach, which is that in their city plans, budgets, policies and so on, they uh, look at what they're building, what they're designing, and ask the question, you know, will this enhance gender equity or will it not? And part of that is um, involving the community, right, having that kind of participatory element, reaching out to people and figuring out what they need. And in cities like Vienna, Barcelona, Stockholm, um, real improvements have been made in everything from, you know, how often we plow sidewalks to even uh, making sure that street names and public squares are sometimes named after women, which is still relatively rare. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um I'm, I'm saying in our community, in our home city, I know there are some parks named after women. Now, this is getting really interesting. I won't take us off on the tangent, doctor, but 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 a lot, uh, historically speaking, uh, these these women have have as part of the suffragette movement and things like that have, have played a really significant role in 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 ensuring that democracy had had elements of equity uh, and, and things like that. Now there's also complications for several of these women around their perspectives on things like eugenics that are that are that are sort of furthering that narrative there. It's it's an aside. I didn't plan on talking to you about that, but but it just strikes me now as, as somewhat interesting. I don't know that it has anything really to do with gender as opposed to maybe the the popular or mainstream perspective at the time. Well, I think it's always worth looking uh, you know, back at who we have chosen to sort of venerate or to literally put on a pedestal and to recognize that sometimes, you know, our, our values don't line up anymore. And again, it's not about erasing history, but it might be about what other stories do we want to make sure that we include or how do we want to fill out the picture of what that person's life and, and views were so that people uh, don't uh, understand them as, you know, heroes or, or heroines necessarily, but as complicated people who uh, may indeed have had very problematic views. Sometimes that means that statue might not need to be in the center of your city anymore. Um, and, and maybe there's, you know, new new people uh, and new stories that we want to include. Yeah. And entire movements to pull, you know, names of the royal family off of schools and, and renaming neighborhoods and electoral boundaries. There's a whole lot of conversations like this going on, which to me are good indicators. They're indicators of a healthy community. They're indicators of meaningful conversations being had. And and I think that sort of introspection that that you write about and that, that people ask about, you write that women's bodies are often seen as a sign of urban problems. Can you explain that for us? Sure. Well, even going back to, say, Victorian times, the, the the city of the Industrial Revolution, just women just being out in public space was seen as a problem, you know, because it would challenge perhaps their virtue and morality to be rubbing shoulders with the working class and 
um, you know, the, who were considered the unsavory elements. And, and fast forward to today, and we still see the way that, you know, the way that women dress is kind of um, policed. We, we see that, um, you know, women who engage in, in sex work are seen as, as problematic for the city. And even, uh, you know, the ways that women sort of parent their children are often commented on in public space. So, women themselves are often sort of seen as very out of place and as in need of some kind of like control or management of their, their bodies and their persons when they're out in the city. We, we uh, observed yesterday. I mean, I think it's fair to say the, the world observed uh, yesterday, the, the one year mark since George, George Floyd was killed uh, by a former police officer by Derek Chauvin. Are there uh, in the, in the conversation around feminist cities? Are there uh, ethnic or, or or racial connotations as well, or, or, or is is that some 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 deeper dives uh, that you've been doing? Are those? Absolutely. I mean, we, we can't, um, a feminist perspective is not about, you know, centering the lives and voices of white women um, or of just one group of women. It's about understanding how systems like racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, and others kind of interact together to shape people's lives. So yes, a, a, an important part of, for me, thinking about the feminist city is thinking about how um, the experiences of different women are really important to include. Many women have been long excluded from, for example, planning processes and, and urban design. Their voices haven't been heard. And we don't want to assume that, you know, either one woman like myself or, you know, white women as a group could speak for all women. Doctor, we this is uh, something I don't know if I would qualify it as anecdotal. I've just seen it for the first time just a few minutes ago. I want to show you something uh, out of our city in Edmonton. Tom Engel, I'm not sure if you know the name. He's a pretty prominent defense lawyer. Um, typically, generally speaking, police officers cannot stand Tom Engel. And I don't know if Ta Tom Engel can stand police officers or not. I don't think so. They, they war publicly. Let's put it that way. Anyway, he tweeted this image. Um, this uh, and I'll take his word for it. I haven't seen it myself with my own eyes. Uh, but Tom Engel from his account says, you know, the Edmonton Police Association uh, proudly and provocatively flying what he calls the divisive us versus them thin blue la thin blue line flag on the new headquarter building this was yesterday so on the one-year anniversary of, of george floyd's uh murder i i do know I, I was reading a little bit about the thin blue line patch last week uh, i know the rcmp have announced that they're 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 prohibiting their members from adding it on to their uniforms do you have an opinion on that and does that fit into this conversation yeah, it, it absolutely does fit in when we think about, you know, the, the idea of inclusion in the city. And for, for a long time, many groups, Black people, Indigenous people, disabled people and people with mental illness have been pointing out that they are um, continue to be treated very poorly by the police and experience a lot of violence from the police. And to me, when I see something like the flying of that flag or those patches, it's not a sign that the police are really listening to that. It seems to be a sign that that says, no, we are literally like holding the line. We are you know, not interested in hearing what you're saying. We're not interested in picking up on some of the changes that to our practices that you're suggesting. We're kind of closing the ranks here and um, to me, it's, you know, sends a very strong message to those communities that um, they, you know, still have uh, potentially a lot to fear from the police.
Dr. Kern, I want to ask you before we run up against the clock, you you, you write in your book, uh, the book Feminist City, a field guide. If you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Leslie Kern out of Mount Allison University. Um, women need to resist, you say, the socialization of fear and the impulses of safety that are maintained by these systems. Can you take us into that? Yeah, well, you know, women from the time we're little girls, we are sort of inculcated with a sense of fear of, of the stranger, of the dark alley, of, of urban public spaces. And there, there's good reasons for that. But I, I want to suggest that the idea that then that means that women either kind of, um, again, circle the ranks or rely on problematic policing practices to attempt to keep them safe or, you know, uh, hunker down in gated communities. These sorts of things are, to me, not really part of the bigger solution to problems of urban inequality and, and even uh, problems of crime. I think that women, yes, we need to pay attention to women's fear and, and to issues like sexual assault, but women uh, need to to take a broader look as well and think about what are the, the much uh, wider kinds of things that we can do to improve safety for everyone in the city, which, you know, would include like affordable housing and, you know, good quality food and education and childcare and, uh, you know, affordable public transportation. All of those things would make such a bigger difference. Doctor, let me ask you this. We have a, we have a live chat, super engaged audience members, typically that are that are having their own conversations. They're putting uh, questions in front of us as we have these interviews. And an interesting point from Erica. Uh, Erica says, I ask with due respect, uh, says I take this very seriously. She says the vast majority of sexual assaults are committed by people who know each other or each other who know their, their target and are close to the victim. How is putting more lights in dark alleys or changing bus routes going to fix that? What would you say to Erica? I would say you're absolutely right. And that part of the problem is that when we think about women's safety issues, we maybe focus too much on urban public space and not on the place where the vast majority of violence against women happens, which is in the home and in private spaces. And as you point out from people that we know, and this to me is another argument against say the expansion of policing, which really does absolutely nothing to to help with those problems. So to me, the, the solution then is, you're right, it's not a design solution. There has to be a much broader cultural shift. But again, things like um, affordable housing, you know, are, are things that help women to leave abusive situations when they know that they're not economically dependent on uh, a, an abusive partner. So cities can be part of the solution, but you're totally right. It's not just about uh, changes to urban design. Dr. Leslie Kern out of Mount Allison University, the author of Feminist City, a field guide just recently presented at WordFest uh, down in Calgary. We really appreciate your time this morning, doctor. Of course, you can learn more at lesliekern.ca. Thank you for this. Thank you. It's great to be here. You bet. We'll be talking more about cities, municipalities in just a second. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to a, a conversation, a roundtable in just moments with with Mayor Barry Morishita of the city of Brooks. Uh, Mayor Morishita is also, you know, the president of the AUMA, the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. Uh, Her Worship Kathy Heron, the mayor of St. Albert, will join us, as will uh, Edmonton City Councilor Andrew Knack. 
he's he's seeking re-election. So that's going to be interesting. We'll talk about the fall uh, municipal elections that are coming up in this pledge that they're asking candidates to take. What's it all about? What happens if you don't take the pledge? And, and what's the whole point of it anyway? Looking forward to that conversation. Every Wednesday, we partner up with our friends at Tourism Jasper to take us all on a bit of a road trip to head out to the mountains, to Jasper National Park. It's a wonderful feature we call My Jasper Memories, and it is my absolute pleasure to take you today to Moline Lake. This is Spirit Island. Now, if you've never been to Spirit Island, you you may be kind of confused right now because you're going, hang on a second. I recognize that scene. I recognize that photo. Well, I mean, I'm, were, you, were you maybe in Grand Central Terminal, Grand Central Station in the 1960s? That's when the city of New York was displaying it. It's one of the most iconic images. It's one of the most photographed lakes in Canada's parks and for good reason. Moline Lake's huge. It's almost 23 kilometers long, uh, absolutely surrounded by mountains, as you can see. Stunning. And Spirit Island is located about halfway down. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I've canoed there. Because it's a bit of a trip. Uh, you're going to have uh, biceps like Popeye. You're going to have a chest like Arnold back in the day. If you're canoeing on your way out there, you can take these boats. You can take these interpretive boat cruises. It opens up, as a matter of fact, this Friday, May 28th, leaves multiple times a day. There it is. Check that out. So it fits your schedule. Can you imagine being there right now? To our friends on the podcast, you have to check this out on, on our YouTube. These photos, or you can just check out, of course, jasper.travel slash real talk to see what we're talking about here. You get these panoramic views of the jagged mountain peaks that are surrounding the glacier-fed waters of Moline Lake. Glass-enclosed heated boats, so every day is a good day out there. You can learn about the geology, the history, the wildlife, the, the weather. Did you know it's actually not an island? Just I love nerding out about this stuff. It's an isthmus, Sarah. It's an ith- isthmus. Isthmus. It's, it's, it's the most wonderful isthmus that i've ever seen in my life it means it has a small connection to the shore when the water line's low enough you know little natural bridge if you want you can make an entire day this is what our family loves to do if i can just say uh, if, if you want to look like a hero to your family an entire day in the Moline valley so you do the lake in the morning the water's at its glass the water's absolutely stunning it's like absolutely glassy glacier fed and then you head to Moline canyon in the afternoon for a hike in the winter, the ice walk, and I have some of my most favorite, hike in some tea lights, you know? Get in there when it's, oh, phew, Sarah, you look intrigued. I can tell you stories about the ice walk at Moline Canyon. And then we love to go, I almost don't want to tell you about this because I don't want to spoil it for us, but that's the whole point of my Jasper memories is to share the Moline Canyon Wilderness Kitchen, a patio meal out there will knock your socks off. You can book your boat tour or your canoe rental at jasper.travel slash real talk. Beautiful. We want to see your My Jasper memories too. So you can hashtag My Jasper, hashtag Real Talk RJ. Every week, more and more of you are sharing your Jasper memories with us. And it, I mean, it's becoming our guilty pleasure. I don't want to say I'm upset with you, Real Talkers, but you, every Wednesday, you pull me away from my work. I have so many things I need to do, but you're sharing your Jasper memories with me. And I, then I just get lost in the photos. And oh, it's a good problem to have, let me tell you. This fall, and we'll be talking about it more on the show. Voters are going to be heading to the polls, a number of municipal elections. We'll find out more in just a second. But candidates this time around are being asked to take 
a local democracy pledge. So we wanted to get into this, understand more about it. Why is it necessary? What prompted it? What happens if you don't take the pledge? My guests today are three board members of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association and as representatives of the AUMA and its members, they're authorized to address issues of relevance to municipal elections, the ones coming up in October. So if you want more information ahead of time or if maybe while you're listening to our conversation today, you want to do some digging yourself, you can check out AUMA.ca or you can give them a call at 780-433-4431. Uh, Mayor Barry Morishita, the mayor of Brooks, is the president of the AUMA. Uh, Kathy Heron is the mayor of St. Albert, also the vice president for cities under half a million. Andrew Knack is an Edmonton city councilor and vice president for cities over half a million. To the three of you, welcome. Good morning, Mayor Heron. We're going to have to get you a real talk mug. I'm recognizing that right now. We got to get you a real talk mug. That's okay. You've made your point early on. I'm looking forward to connecting with the three of you today. Barry, Mayor Morshita, why don't we start with you? The municipal elections coming up this fall. Who's going to the polls? Why is this significant? For, for a lot of people, this might actually be. They're trying to stay on top of so many things in their lives, trying to stay on top of all the details. Which cities are holding elections and what's going on? Well, first of all, uh, the, uh, Brian, it's great to be here. Thanks a lot. So, you know, the elections are held in every municipal jurisdiction across the province on October 18th of this year. And, um, you know, AUMA has always uh, been an advocate for open, honest, transparent, local democracy. And, you know, a lot of what, what's, what we're going to talk about today is kind of born from some of the changes uh, that happened um, and some of the consultation that happened earlier about LAEA changes that have happened over the past two governments. And, you know, um, our members have told us loud and clear that there's some principles that the, that the local uh, elected officials want to keep intact. And uh, they think AUMA should be the vehicle to help make that happen. Mayor Heron, what are we talking about here? Changes over the past two governments. We're talking about Rachel Notley's NDP, Jason Kenney's UCP. What's changed for the average person that might not have it on their radar? Well, you know, some of the funding, the way the way elections are funded, uh, the way third party advertising works, uh, some of those details around that, um, you know, the recommendations and the consultation that we certainly had with our members uh, don't align with that. And uh, we think now more than ever, uh, positive messaging about what how important it is for local elected officials uh, to be engaged at a local level and to be kind of uh, unshackled by some of the things that that seem at times to uh, unfortunately uh, influence politics at uh, the provincial and federal level. We'd like to see that stay away from the local level. And uh, so this is just a a conversation that needs to be had. You know, right now the local democracy is pretty intact and it works really, really well. But uh, we all know what happens if we just watch the world go by. Sometimes uh, things happen uh, in spite of our best uh, motives, but you know, sometimes you have to take some actions and, uh, 99% of elected officials in Alberta don't need to say this. It's kind of unspoken. It happens. Uh, but the fact remains is that some of the dialogue's changing across uh, Western society when it comes to politics and politicians, and we need to get in front of it and, and make sure local democracy stays healthy. Mayor Heron, where do you see that happening or how do you see that happening? Some of, some of the dialogue that's changing. Are you are you concerned about this fall's election in a way that maybe you weren't in, in previous ones? 
I would say it, it's happened in the past um, during local elections. You, you, you have some of these third party um, groups try to influence, for sure. I, I suspect this coming up election in a few months might be, could, could potentially be much worse. Uh, I think, especially in the larger cities, um, I'm sure Andrew would have some opinions on this as well. But in a mid-sized city like St. Albert, it, it has entered in every election that I've run. There's been billboards on, on, on the roads that are completely false and, and no one disavows um, that kind of behavior. And so this pledge that we want to introduce today is, is about starting a conversation. Essentially, as Barry said, 99% of currently elected local leaders live this every day and we don't need to take a pledge, but to make a public pledge to introduce it to those candidates that are considering running or are running and get a conversation going with voters about respectful behavior during an election. It's, it's a very simple pledge about, and it's really about conversation. Well, I think it's important to say too that the pledge is completely voluntary. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I want to ask yeah. you all what happens if, if candidates don't take the pledge, um, and and maybe the sort of pressure that might come with that or public attention. I know it's it's going to be sort of carried out as somewhat of a confidential thing, mm-hmm. but but uh, Councillor Nack, I mean, if we're going to call a show real talk, let's have some real talk. I mean, you've been the target of uh, a mayoral of attacks from a mayoral candidate in Edmonton for the, for the better part of the last two years. As a matter of fact, this candidate um, was at threat of being sanctioned by his council colleagues in Edmonton for his social media activity that focused on you. The guy's obsessed with you. You're not even running for mayor. Uh, this is kind of personal for you, isn't it? You know, I, I really don't want it to, to be a personal thing. This, In my mind, this is truly about wanting to set a standard that everyone would hopefully want to lead by and as we go through to the next election. So I'm less worried about what happens to me. Um, that That's that's somewhat part of the job. Although, again, back to this point is that we don't want to necessarily make it uh, something that we should expect. So for me, it's more about what what's that message we want to send to all Albertans as they're going to be thinking about the upcoming election? And what should they be looking for in their elected representatives? And, and what's the standard we should be holding elected representatives to? You know, I'm just going to criticize my own last comment, which is that oftentimes we default to the, oh, well, that's just politics. But really, why do we set a lower standard for politics than we would for any other occupation? You know, we wouldn't accept uh, behavior where people are being disrespectful towards one another in any other workplace. So why, why accept that just because we're talking about politics? And the beauty of local government is that rarely do we ever really get into the mud like you would see uh, oftentimes on the provincial scale or on a federal scale. And so I think this pledge is going to reinforce what often already happens and also then maybe just cause everyone to think a little bit more about the actions they're about to take, about the words that they're going to use when they're communicating uh, in an election period. So, I, I, yeah, it's it, it's while it's been an interesting last uh, couple of years, uh, this really to me is about how we want to set a standard province wide going forward. I'm not I'm not going to say we're disappointed you're keeping it classy. Uh, I'm just gonna, no, but this is I mean, it's the type of thing I think where where the, the average person that's paying attention to this, you talk about getting into the mud in politics and and for a lot of people, I think it's safe to say the reason 
reason why many people would not consider a career in politics is because there's that implication isn't there mayor morishita there's that there's that implication that you gotta you gotta put the foil on your knuckles uh if you're even going to consider running for anything i mean school trustee you're going to get gritty let alone city councilor let alone mayor right no, it's, it's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think one of the, the frustrations is, is that, uh, you know, all of us as local elected officials, we interact with our constituents every day on every issue. It's just that we see the tones changing. And, you know, the pandemic has been no help. There's been lots of issues that uh, have divided us, the economics, you know, there's lots of stress out there. But again, uh, in, in the face of those stressful situations, that when, that's when we have to even become more respectful because we're only going to find solutions together. And so for us to pick one side of the road to be on and then yell at each other across really isn't very productive. And, and typically that never happens in a local setting. Um, you know, speaking to the general idea about people, whether they're interested or not, or they look at the landscape and see, you know, I can, I can tell you a personal experience that I've never had before. You know, we've We've, um, we've seen the dialogue kind of ramp up with all kinds of things about, you know, whether you're committing a crime against humanity because you're supporting what's going on with the public health orders or those kinds of things. And, you know, um, we, we've had people come into the office, um, uh, threaten to arrest me. Um, and then when people see that kind of behavior, that type of stuff happening, uh, you know, they're way less reluctant to consider a public service role. Hang and on, you're hang on. You're, you're telling me people are like private citizens are coming into AUMA HQ and threatening to conduct a citizen's arrest on the mayor of Brooks? Is that well, what you're telling me? Not not AUMA, but uh, they did come into but City Hall. City Hall. And it's a little bit. Uh, it, yeah, it's a little intimidating for for uh, you know, and and the person is you know not completely you know has some issues, mental health issues, but nonetheless. Um, never ramped up to this level before. And I think part of that is the rhetoric that goes on. And when you look at the four things that form the pledge, they're, they're all about having, they all are about, as Andrew and Cabby said, about having a civil dialogue. So when you talk about local elections and you talk about local issues, these are issues that affect you, Ryan, your, your garbage collection, your park maintenance, uh, whether you have playgrounds, uh, whether you have access to a rec center, those are the things we should be talking to our local representatives about. We don't need to talk about things that are outside of that and whether, you know, you believe you should be vaccinated or not, because that shouldn't be an issue about whether you're a good local servant or not. Yeah. You know, partisanship is another huge thing. Partisanship is a big thing. I Everybody has a political view. Um, you know, you can slot yourself on the spectrum from left to right somewhere. That's fine. That's where you where your uh, value systems are. But again, to um, we rely on finding solutions together by having a civil discourse with each other, including our stakeholders. And um, we want to make sure that that is preserved. And that is what the pledge is about. Yeah, Kathy, it's, like Kathy said, it's voluntary, but that's what it's about. It's about preserving the great local democracy that we have. It's, it's always interesting. Municipal elections always interesting because, you know, we find so frequently uh, politics can be a team sport, right? You know, you know, the colors you wear, you know, the team you vote for when it comes to provincial or federal elections. And and maybe with the exception of cities like Vancouver, where they'll run slates, they're kind of they're kind of like political parties, but not really. At least, you know, candidates whose, whose views, perspectives and, and platforms are aligned in some way. We don't typically see that. 
I've seen some rumblings of maybe some slates this fall. It remains to be seen. But municipal elections make it a little bit more difficult for the lazy voter or the low information voter to understand who's their team member, who, who, who should they be, who's on their team in their riding. And, and, and as a matter of fact, I think a question like, are you getting vaccinated can go a long way in either direction. If they say no, you're not getting my vote. If they say yes, you might not get might not get Uncle Larry's vote. Let's get into the four points, though, on the pledge. Let's talk about this. Kathy, uh, Mayor Heron, we'll come to you first on this. You want to keep local elections local? That's where I think we really need to focus on this morning. Maintain independence and nonpartisanship. Demonstrate transparency. Talking about pre-election disclosure of, of campaign contributions and spending. I really like that one personally. And engage in respectful behavior, which might be subjective, but we can dig into that one, too. Uh, Mayor Heron, is there one in particular? I mean, I know there are the four pillars. Without one of them, the House will fall. But is there one that you find to be particularly significant or important? It's hard to pick one out of the four, Ryan, so don't ask me to do that. But no, I think uh, I think the nonpartisanship one really, for me, is important. You get into you get elected. Um, you run on different platforms, but whatever happens, you need to walk into that council chambers and work together as a team. And uh, and the, the other very important thing is I, I have never really said publicly whether I'm conservative or supportive of the Alberta party or not, because no matter who gets elected in the provincial governor or federal, I have to work with that party. So we interact with the party level so frequently, and I need to be able to work with whoever. So it's same with my neighbors, my municipal neighbors. So it's really important for me to just be able to work to, with anyone, no matter what your political stripes are. And uh, if you are being supported by a slate or a third party or, or a political party, then you sometimes are beholden to that um, group. Um, they got you elected and, and they want you to vote. So then, then, you're not, then you're not really independent. And that's the joy of municipal government is that we are independent and we are nonpartisan why i stay here and i I have no issue no aspirations ever for political party politics because i just don't think i could live there i like the collaborative style is that right like you would you would just you've ruled that out i mean i know the alberta party's talking about a leadership race right now i'm not starting rumors and floating your name that's not my intent i'm just i've just never heard you say that before that essentially you've ruled out partisan politics yeah, no, I, I guess I shouldn't say I ruled it out, but I, what the important point is, I love the nonpartisan sure. level of yeah. this yeah. I no. just, I just love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd be inclined to agree. I, w- I would find the most, man, municipal politics is an interesting animal, isn't it? Because, I mean, on one hand, you don't have that, that it's not that team sport, so maybe you don't have the team support, but you're also not beholden to, to parts of that elements of that team platform you may, you may not love, but there's no politician that's more front facing than a municipal elected representative right councillor knack i mean people are talking to you. your constituents can get you at the grocery store the gas station they can get you while you're weeding your garden it's a bit it's a bit of a beast that way i love that part of it right and, and again it goes back to that um we're, we're the order of government that really does have the greatest impact on people's everyday lives. And therefore, it's good that people have that opportunity to engage with their local representative uh, in ways that is not always possible provincially and federally. Sometimes you have candidates that live in different ridings or in some cases, even different cities from the area that they're representing. And so 
I love that people, when I'm out walking out to the library or where I'm just going out and about, people can stop you and have a chat about uh, an issue that they're dealing with. And, and I mean, you know, I always try to remind myself, and I think we often forget there's the voter turnout's often a, a lot lower on local elections. So there's still a lot of people who have no idea who you are. Um, and that's okay too. But, but I really appreciate the fact that we can have these civil discussions you can run into anyone from across the political spectrum and and generally speaking you can have a good civil discussion about any mm-hmm. issue it's it is very rare those examples that, that example barry gave those are those are so rare generally although we're trending in a bit of a, a, a concerning direction um but I love that. And so if we can help, and I think this pledge will actually help make sure we put that to rest a little bit and stop us from shifting in the direction that we see uh, partisan politics going. Barry, let me ask you about this. So I'll, I'll direct our, our, our audience to uh, to AUMA.ca. They can check out the website here and then you can see right on the on the homepage. You've made it very easy. You can take the pledge to protect local democracy. And, and there it is. It lays it all out. Are you ready to take the pledge? You can download it. You can share the video talking about it. There's frequently asked questions. You've done a really great job with that one of the big ones here though for me i mean pointing out that it's of course not mandatory the auma cannot or nor would i don't think impose this on candidates but but you can create a a scenario where there is that pressure and let me say on behalf of voters there's that expectation and ideally people when candidates are knocking on their doors or however you're doing it in the in the COVID era, what do you do? What do you do? You knock with pool cues or garden rakes or something so you can keep your whatever you do. You know, you're yeah. using a shovel to ring the doorbell. Whatever you do, this is what people should be asking. Have you taken the pledge? Have you taken the AUMA pledge? The one that really jumps out at me, pre-election disclosure of campaign contributions and spending. We already know here, though, let's be honest, the people with the most to hide are the ones that are going to opt out. It's like Joe Biden releasing his tax returns, Donald Trump not releasing his. Why do you think this one's so significant? Well, it is significant for two reasons. Because first of all, if you know uh, that you're going, you, you need to disclose. Let's, let's put that scenario in front. Right now, under the legislation, you don't need to. The, the pledge is asking people to do that. So when you consider taking money from wherever, uh, you know, as long as it's done in good faith without like uh, an expectation of some exchange or some influence, um, you know, then take the money and feel good about it and and move on and and help spread your message that you want to do. And then when it comes to afterwards, knowing that the disclosure is going to happen before the election allows individuals to have some faith that, you know what, the candidate uh, collected money to run his campaign in good faith they did that knowing uh, that they're going to disclose and what that allow, it's just transparency. Anything that happens in the dark always is su- suspect to something, whether, you know, maybe there's nothing to it. But the fact is, is that if you shine a light on it all the time, then nothing can, uh, you know, lurk in the corner. And that's all we're talking about. We've seen scandal after scandal provincially federally about fundraising, about who gives what and how they skirt the rules. Um, If someone came to me as a candidate locally and said, hey, Barry, uh, you know, I want to give you some money, but I I don't want to really be on the books for it. Can you figure out, well, you know, I don't have to disclose till March, so don't worry about it. Well, that's that's not what we should be doing. If someone believes in me, 
then they should be able to say, hey, you know what? You gave money to Barry's campaign. If you if you need to hide it, then there's a question mm-hmm. both for the candidate and the donor. Should you be actually doing this? And that's just, we know that the influence could be there, that there's not a lot of ability for um, you know, the vast majority of Albertans to influence campaigns, but there's a small group that can, and, and that just shouldn't creep into our elections, plain and simple. And that's what that uh, transparency and disclosure statement is all about. Have any of the three of you ever turned down a donation based on optics or something else? I, 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 I never have, but I, but I, I run very small elections, so I've never had... I've never had much fundraising, Ryan. But is that something uh, though? That- I've ne- well, I was just going to say no. I, I've never had to, but I've also since uh, since I've been running in elections for some time, ever since uh, the 2010 election, I've been disclosing all my donations before the election, so people know uh, from the very beginning if they're donating to my campaign. Uh, then that is going to be out in the open well before the election. And I think it's really important. And, and the reason I did it, and I think the reason why it's important is it's in this pledge, is that as a candidate, especially one that's not yet on a council, is this is your first way. If you really talk about transparency and you want to lead by example, this is one of the first ways you could actually do that by saying, well, of course, I believe in transparency and to back it up, I'm going to show everyone who's donating to my campaign. That's the best way to to do it. So uh, I've never had to turn anything down because uh, everyone knows that I'm going to be very upfront with everyone in the city about who's donating. Mayor Heron, how do you how do you feel? I, I you know what I get like to, to play devil's advocate for a second. Um, although I'm not devil's advocate because I can understand this perspective. You know, some people might say like on the donor side, on the private citizen side, right? I don't, I don't want to get tied into whatever. Like maybe I have a business reason for for supporting this candidate, or maybe I have a personal reason for supporting this candidate. But the last thing I want to do is get dragged through the mud publicly when when these you know donations are disclosed. My politics should be private and I should be able to donate privately wherever I like, so long as it complies with the rules. And then I can understand the bigger picture where people will say, if I'm going to consider a candidate, I want to know who else is donating to them. I want to know to whom they are or maybe beholden. I want to know how their votes on important issues may be influenced by people that have donated the maximum amount, which is typically going to be way more than the average person can donate. How do you reconcile that? Or how, how do you sort out that debate? I think uh, it's a good question because people have that right uh, to to keep their, their business private if they want to. I think it's not that hard to reconcile because people who contribute to um, political campaigns I think generally are doing it for the right reason. But the most important part, and it's because we're nonpartisan, is if I if I received $5,000 from a land developer during the election, that's disclosed. And then I walk into chambers and most elected officials are not going to favor that land developer in a vote just because they gave the money during the campaign. That, that's that's ethical standards. You make the vote in chambers based on what's good for your community. So, and quite often, land developers don't expect it. They expect more, you know, access for meetings, and but they don't expect you to vote in their favor. Well, and let's if be honest. Do, I mean, the, the, don't take that right. the big developers donate to virtually every candidate. That, and that's the other thing, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, they cover their bases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, Ryan, I was just going to jump in there. The, you talk about, you know, of people feeling like they have that right to privacy and, and it's true when it comes to the vote, but remember the rules are already quite clear that almost every donation, and it used to be every donation up over a hundred dollars. And now it's, I think it's every donation over $50 has to be disclosed anyways. The difference is we're saying instead of disclosing it after the election, disclose it before the election. So anyone who has that worry, well, they weren't gonna donate in the first place because their name still would be made public. It would have still been on the disclosure. So all this pledge is saying is that, well, you're gonna disclose anyways, and we all keep running lists now. Like it's very, the technology exists now to keep a running list. Uh, just make sure people see it before the election, not after the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's uh, Bear, Barry, has, has this just launched? I mean, if, if people again, it's at AMA.ca. This, this is relatively new, right? What's what's the uptake been? Is it, is it too early to say? Yeah, it's too early to say. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really excited about the prospect of it. I like like we said at the opening, you know, a lot of this stuff goes without saying for 99 percent of the candidates. And I think the other thing that's really important to note is that as we go forward, it's in, I think it's important for people that are running and people that are going to be serving in the next four years in their communities that AUMA does have their back on these issues, that we are not ourselves going to tolerate disrespectful dialogue, that we're going to be transparent, uh, that we're avoiding partisanship as an organization, and that we're focusing on local issues. I think it's really important for everybody that's going to be running and potentially serving to understand that AUMA themselves are going to, to be part of that conversation going forward and that our, uh, that our efforts are going to be promoting this um, for themselves as well for the province. So, um, you know, we oftentimes when it comes to politics, you know, the, 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 the big sexy kind of uh, sales thing, uh, you know, like you said, you need controversy sometimes to stir up, to stir up the headline. Uh, you need some disaster for people to pay attention. What AUMA is doing here is we're trying to kind of dig in our heels for where we are because we're in a good place generally. And we're just saying, hey, this is where, this is it. This We're not going to let any of these issues, any of these principles deteriorate the local level because it is the last in my mind, the best place for uh, decisions to happen. You yeah, know, we often talk about you know opposition votes and stuff, but you know I don't know. My council, ninety-five percent of the time, votes unanimous because we keep working for a collaborative decision, and our our residents appreciate that. They really do. Um, there's no partisanship in roads. There's no partisanship in zoning. There's no partisanship or or uh, in garbage collection or recycling it's well, about what's good for everybody some people will find a way to make absolutely everything partisan <laughs> barry the fact that i'm wearing a blue shirt today to talk politics may be an unfortunate choice thank god i didn't wear red right i mean people would be losing their minds in alberta uh in all seriousness though hey i support anything that will restore or maintain dignity and integrity and i know that this is an audience the people are going to hear this podcast the people that are watching us now live i know share that interest as well i can see it in the live chat people people identifying the issues that are important to them and i'll acknowledge that that you know you here as as spokespersons of the ama and, and municipalities um don't have a role in enforcing this pledge but if i can speak directly 
to my fellow Albertans that are tuning in right now, we can. We can determine the importance of the pledge. We're the ones that can ask candidates if they've taken the pledge. And if not, why not? And to candidates that are going to see this interview, be proactive. Let us know when you have taken it via auma.ca. Or if you have more questions, you can, of course, call the AUMA at 780-433-4431. Mayor Barry Morishita out of the city of Brooks is the president of the AUMA and and two of the big shots in the VP role, cities over a half a million, cities under a half a million, Edmonton Councillor Andrew Knack and St. Albert Mayor Kathy Heron. It's really great to connect with the three of you today. Thanks for the work that you're doing on this. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You can let us know, Real Talkers, what you what you make of this. This pledge is an interesting one. Uh, Sarah, I can't imagine. I, mean, I think if you're if you're a candidate that does, I mean, public pressure goes a long way here. Right. If you're a candidate that it, that is that can stand behind your donor base, that can say, I've got nothing to hide or there's nothing shady here. There's nothing I'm worried about here. Uh, why wouldn't you disclose it ahead of time? Why wouldn't you be proactive? And then, of course, as you do it, I mean, it's let's be honest. I mean, from a campaign strategy as well, from uh, you, political intuition, it's a pretty smart move too. it puts the pressure on everybody else that's running against you. I've taken the pledge. Why haven't you? I think it would be, I would love to see there be kind of a, a push, a groundswell. So maybe maybe real talkers could, could get out there and could start making that push. Um, I don't think that there would be any uh, drawback to someone signing up for the pledge. I mean, it basically, it says, I promise to be accountable. And then there's, you know, it's backstopping and saying, okay, so if I'm not... You can you can bring the the pledge up to me and uh, and hold me accountable. So it it, it yeah, and accountability is huge. You're right. Uh, you know, I mean, number one, keep local, local elections local. What does that mean? We'll we'll focus your campaign on issues that municipal elected officials can influence. Um, that means you don't get to complain about you know issues that have no relevance. The electorate can be. I I hate to say this, but I just do think it's a fact, and I think we see it. The electorate can be misled. Can can be what <laughs> you talk to the I mean, I know I'm not trying to be a jerk, but you talk to the average person. And, and if you were to say, um, I think most people would know, like, you know, you, you know, if if the roads aren't plowed, if the snow, if the snow is not cleared out of your cul-de-sac, you know, is it or is it not Justin Trudeau's fault? I think most people would know the answer to that. But if you talked about uh, highway disrepair or if you talked about, you know, commercial zoning or if you talked about things like I mean, I think people would know about things like lot splitting and skinny homes and, and, and efforts toward urban density. And I think most people would realize that generally speaking, those are municipal issues, but but it can get murky. The waters can get murky. Well, when you think about hospitals and schools, it's kind of like, oh, well, great point. Um those are things that are in our community and in our cities and in municipalities because municipalities, you know, include villages, include towns. So we're hamlets. Not, yes, hamlets. So um, we can think, oh, those are within our, you know, immediate uh, space. So, oh, they must be municipalities. But no, it's, you know, that's provincial. Yeah. And then, yeah, we can just look at what, where the funding uh, comes from and where the, like what the jurisdiction yeah. is. Kim says municipal politics is supposed to be nonpartisan. I wish it actually was. <laughs> Kim says the bootstrap campaigns are the ones to consider, the ones that are truly independent, good candidates. And bootstrapped campaigns can win. They don't always win. I mean, it still takes big money, typically 
uh, to win a mayoral campaign. I mean, it's you know, it's going to be different when you talk to Mayor Morishita in, in a city like Brooks. Shout out to Brooks, Southern Alberta this morning, you know, versus a city like Calgary or Edmonton, where, you know, mayoral campaigns will spend probably more than a million dollars. Right. It's big dough. Uh, but, you know, you ask the candidates to, to keep those elections local by by having integrity in the issues that they put in front of people, uh, you know, maintain independence and nonpartisanship, reject endorsements, which should undermine accountability to municipal residents or the autonomy of the municipality. That would be significant. I'm not saying that the premier would offer endorsements to municipal candidates. As a matter of fact, I would almost. Well, I mean, I wouldn't. Who knows with this guy? Anyway, I digress. But I doubt it. It doesn't typically happen, uh, you know, but but members of parliament, those types of things, you'll see candidates. I mean, there's a guy down in Calgary right now that's he, he's changed the font and the color just enough, just enough that he's not stealing the Conservative Party of Canada's logo. He's changed it just enough. And he's calling himself your conservative choice, which, you know, they don't they don't have the trademark on the word conservative. Right. As long as it's a small C. Or all caps, for that matter. <laughs> and and then this fella, he snapped a photo. You can see he's at a I Flames game. You know that. what I'm talking about. This yeah. Canada, I'm giving him more publicity right now. But but he's wearing a Flames jersey. He's he's clearly at a hockey game, and he's got a picture with Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper. Now my guess, I don't know. I don't know that my guess is that he's not at the game with Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper. My guess is that he ran into them and got a photo. That's my guess. But the implication is there that he's a huge Green Party follower. Yes. Huge. <laughs> this guy is going to be about carbon taxes and solar and electric Loves vehicles. Cryptocurrency. Can't get enough. <laughs> yeah. So demonstrate transparency. Pre-election disclosure of campaign contributions. That's a big one. And then engage in respectful behavior, uh, which to me is a little bit more subjective. One person's version of respectful behavior might be a lot different than another's. Fair, fair point. But I think that there's, uh, again, I, I worry about what we give oxygen to and what we amplify. And mm-hmm. I, like, I'm very aware of that. This is a platform and, and what, who do we give uh, more space to and oxygen to? So there are definitely people that have already, I mean, you alluded to it with uh, our guest, Andrew Knack, uh, that there have been people that are just been really nasty. Yeah, just just lousy. lousy. I, think the, I think the word lousy fits on this front. Hey, if you're looking to better yourself, if, if you're looking to add to your toolbox, so to speak, I want to talk to you for a quick second about Power Ed by Athabasca University. You can check it out online at powered.ca. This is great. This is short, online, on-demand professional development courses and certificates. They're leading edge, but they do not take six months to complete. We've been talking about digital wellness this month and what that means. They've just launched Digital Wellness 101 and and real talkers that have been participating. One of you got back to us and said it was like three hours in and out. Digital Wellness 101. You learned a lot about yourself and your habits when it comes to your interactions, your relationship with technology. They've also got great learning opportunities on leadership and allyship and project management and artificial intelligence. You're going, what can I do today to make myself a more formidable candidate in this job market? Well, start at powered.ca, complete it in your own time and on your own pace. 
We're getting a whole bunch of emails for trash talk. You know, those come in to talk at ryanjesperson.com. I don't have to tell you every single Friday. We, we wrap up our show with trash talk. We got an amazing one yesterday regarding the the technical broadcast elements of playoff hockey. I cannot wait to get into this on Trash Talk. It will probably, Sam, I'm, I'm guessing just adds up. I think it's going to be the lead letter. The lead letter on Trash Talk is always a big one. I'm very intrigued. The yeah. lead and the final, right? Those are the big ones. The lead and the final. Yeah. Those are the big ones. But then also you kind of want to have this crescendo and then you don't really want to. So it's just like build, 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 build. But the lead kind of sets the tone. So you're, you're basically showing us how you're a curator of the Trash oh. Talks. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Local Waste loves to talk trash so much so that they sponsor the segment, but they also love to earn your business. They've been doing it for more than 25 years, locally owned, family owned, and they're always open to conversations on, you know, basically the value of money spent in a local company versus a non-local business. Uh, if you're locked in a contract with one of their competitors and you're having a tough time finding a way out, they commit their resources to help you get out of that lousy contract that has your feet nailed to the floor. You can learn more by contacting Mikkel and Lauren and Chris via localwaste.ca. Of course, all of our sponsors under the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Every single week, you know that we partner up with the team at Y Station and, and we present our question of the week. As a matter of fact, if you look right now at ryanjesperson.com, you'll see that our current, our new question of the week is posted. And uh, this one, we're not messing around. We want to know how you feel about the violence that we're seeing in the Middle East, getting as real as it gets. We're getting into one of the, the most hotly debated and serious topics that we've ever covered on Real Talk. Of course, the eyes of the world have been fixed on the escalating conflict between Israel and Palestine on Friday. News of a ceasefire, but obviously the underlying cause for conflict remains. So we want to ask this week, we're, we already have hundreds of responses. We're hoping to get over a thousand on this one. What, tell us how your views on Israel and Palestine have evolved, if at all, over the last few weeks. Take a crack at telling us how you think that things might move forward. We know it's a tough topic. We know it's a divisive topic. We know it's a topic that makes people uncomfortable. We're hoping and we know that you will put thought into it and answer critically. And we're not trying to solve the conflict. I mean, if we could, great. We don't think we probably will. But we are trying to glean some perspective that could help us better inform the discussion here. Thank you to everybody that's going to take the two or three minutes that it takes to chime in on that question of the week. You can find it again at RyanJesperson.com. Our last question of the week gleaned some pretty interesting results. We were asking you about the future of Alberta's premier, Jason Kenney, the future of the United Conservative Party based on on some of the woes that we've seen as of late, an open letter signed by 16 and 17 MLAs. The letter from now independent MLA Todd Lowen that publicly called. He was the former chair of the UCP caucus. He resigned from that position and, and called for the premier's resignation. We talked to Drew Barnes last week, now the independent MLA out of Cypress Medicine Hat. Of course, he was booted out of the caucus, booted out of the party, along with MLA Lowen 
as you know, we, we discussed that last week. If you missed that interview with MLA Barnes, you can find it on our podcast anywhere. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and there it is waiting for you. So we asked you about, you know, what you think is going to happen here. What's going to happen with the premier? What's going to happen with the party? Let's take a look at some of the highlights. These are curated by our friends at Y Station, our official research and strategy partners. Get this. Uh, more than 800 respondents, as a matter of fact, 807 surveys completed. 70% of audience members believe that the United Conservatives are doomed one way or another the next provincial election, whenever that is. It's scheduled for 2023. That's a significant number. 70% of audience members believe that the party's in trouble. Let's take a look at another one of the highlights. Um, I should mention that our Patreon supporters, thank you so much to those of you that every single month make a contribution to this show to, 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 to join our journey and to keep the journey going and to allow us to, to deepen our coverage of issues and bring on more team members. Our Patreon supporters do receive the top line report. Here it is. Uh, typically, you know, between I think the shortest one we've seen is 12 pages. The biggest one I think was 18 pages. Uh, the team why station goes through it and, and you're able to sift through it it's amazing data to, to better understand what makes people tick and glean some insight but sam let's take a look at that 19 percent number this was a pretty interesting one as well uh, this from last week's question 19 percent of audience members 19 one in five believe that jason kenny will be the ucp leader beyond the next election one in five believe that here's another one of the highlights that we took out of it or or at least one of the statistics of note now if jason kenny is no longer the leader of the united conservatives and and i personally don't see premier kenny resigning uh, a lot can happen two years in politics between now and the next scheduled election unless he calls a snap election that is an eternity 48 hours is an eternity in politics two weeks is like a year so if if Jason Kenny were to leave, you know, wh whether it's his resignation, whether it's by way of a leadership review before the next election, here are the most popular choices for the premier's replacement. One in four respondents, 26 percent thought maybe Brian Jean might be a replacement. Imagine if you had this conversation a couple of years ago. Of course, Brian Jean is is interwoven as the target into this whole alleged kamikaze campaign. If Brian Jean were to come in and lead this party, wouldn't that be interesting? What would be the, the perception from the so-called progressive faction of the United Conservative Party? Could they get on board with a, a leadership by way of Brian Jean? Here's here's what others had to say. Former Calgary alderman, former Calgary councillor. Now, of course, a, a senior cabinet minister, Rick McIver, about seven percent. And and I don't know if this is a cheeky answer or if people are serious. I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to side with cheeky just under seven percent went ahead and thought maybe Rachel Notley might good might be a good replacement. So when we asked you, will Jason Kenny stay or go? Here's what the audience had to say. Thirty one percent. We asked, will he get the boot from his own party? You know, will this happen before an election? And let's not take for granted that many people believe that the United Conservatives will win even bigger in 2023 than they did in 2019. And we want to hear from those of you that feel that way as well. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is, is where you can reach us. Will Jason Kenney, will Premier Kenny get the boot from his own party? 31% said yes at the leadership review in 2023. Once popular premiers can fall from leadership reviews, I think of King Ralph. In the 2023 general election, 28% thought that's when it would be. 19% said, no way, this is Jason Kenney's world. We're just living in it. 16% thought maybe there'll be a leadership change when the pandemic's over and 7% believe within the month. I, I don't think that's happening. 
when we asked if, if you believe that Jason Kenny would call a snap election, he's, he's, he's threatened to do so either on or off the record, depending on who you talk to. Would he call a snap election if he believed that his leadership was sufficiently threatened? 57% of audience members believe Kenny would be willing to call a snap election if threatened. 34% think a snap election is a line that nobody would cross. And the obvious question to ask in a conversation like this is, well, who would replace him? Who would be the replacement? Were Jason Kenney to, to call it a career in the provincial political context or be sent to pasture? And it's not exactly inspiring if you're a supporter of the party. And it's probably not encouraging if you're a member, in other words, a, a caucus member or a cabinet minister. Rick McIver, 19% thought. Maybe Rick McIver, 12% thought Jason Nixon, about 7% thought that it might be Doug Schweitzer, 5% thought the finance minister, Travis Taves, 4% thought that maybe the energy minister, Sonia Savage. I was a little surprised there. I don't know about you to see the speaker, the honorable member, uh, the MLA, I think it's, what is it? Old Didsbury. I can't remember his exact writing. Uh, Nathan Cooper, the speaker, 2%. You remember he was the interim leader for the party as that leadership race was happening 2% for Nathan Cooper 2% for Leela Ahir who some people believe could could be sort of a, an opportunity for this party to rebrand and to refresh right a woman of color uh, southern alberta um, you know has some ties to to some progressive communities i know she's not everybody's cup of tea but what politician is but 2% the biggest choice here that, that listeners and, and, and viewers chose was 38% saying, I don't know. I don't know who the next leader would be. There's not exactly like this big, huge front bench. You know, it used to be different conversations. For example, let me go back real quick. Like when Stephen Harper retired, essentially, right after losing that election in 2015 to Justin Trudeau, when you looked at the front bench at that time, Right. People are going, well, it could be Jason Kenny. It could be Ronna Ambrose. It could be John Baird. It could be like you like bang, 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 bang. You could name all these successors. And ultimately, one by one, they went, eh, no, I don't know if you see that with the United Conservatives. I certainly don't. I just wanted to fact check for you. Thank you. Uh, Nathan Cooper is the uh, his district is the Olds Didsbury Three Hills. I knew I was missing a community. Everybody at Prairie Bible Institute in Three Hills is like, yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Jesper. Well, I mean, they'd be very polite about it. Yeah. There'd be no there'd be no profanity, but they'd probably still want the beautiful community of Three Hills. It is beautiful. To be mentioned. One of my uh, former high school teachers, a math teacher, uh, had a great name, Mr. Turley. Isn't that a great name? Mr. Turley. It reminds me of Mr. Furley from Three's Company, but That's I digress. Exactly <laughs> but he was like such a beauty. He would wear these. He'd wear like double breasted. He, he, he dressed like a ship captain. He dressed like he was getting set to board the love boat. He wore like patent leather white shoes. I mean, with tassels. I mean, he seriously white pants, blue double breasted blazer, just an impeccable. You know, the guys with them, there's guys with sloppy mustaches. And then there's the guys that just it is trimmed. It is is manicured mr turley was so well put it was way too well put together for high school but of course along with that came credibility but he was he, he was very he was very he was very partial to the community of two hills and he would always indicate his displeasure at how three hills got all the attention yeah, he just had no time for conversations about three hills, and he thought more of us should should recognize that there is a proud community of two hills. I wonder if there's a real rivalry there. I don't know. What about one hill? 
Yeah, what would you call it? Just probably hill. hill. Yeah. yeah, one hill is a little. I'm glad they can finally agree on something. You'd want to. You'd want to. Yeah. You'd want to. You'd want to name the hill. Yeah. You know, like Beacon Hill. Well, there's Harry Hill. Reference is lost on me. No, it's it's a place in Alberta. Harry Hill. Harry Hill. H a i r y or h a r r y. I need to fact check that. Give me Harry Hill, Alberta. This is news to me. No, I'm I'm uh, Harry Hill, Alberta, spelled <laughs> like hair on the head. Sam and I are both kind of embarrassed that we don't know about Harry Hill. Is a hamlet in Alberta, and it is in the county of. Two hills. Oh, come on. <laughs> so Harry Hill is in the shadow of two hills, which is in the shadow of three hills? Yes, and the name comes wow. from the large amount of bison hair found on the hills in the area. Uh, okay. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. That is super cool, as a matter of fact. I want to start a municipality called Four Hills now. That just seems like that's, that's how just, you win this thing. Just to, just to really sort of flex... Yeah, because Three Hills, let's be honest, has has kind of uh, Deborah says. So Mr. Turley dresses like Sam. <laughs> I I'm not that dapper. No, not not one bit. Sam does keep it for for a technical producer. You you are the classiest. You you are the most well dressed, impeccably presented technical producer I've ever worked with in 20 years. I'm not a jeans and hoodie guy, and, no. and like my friends can attest to that. I I feel I I feel naked without a collar on. Like that's very weird for me, but that's that's totally true. You know, we yeah. should do one. One day is just get Sam to do the whole show in a real talk tank top and just see see how you do it. You can take the engineer out of the firm, but you can no. Wait a minute, you can yeah, take that, yeah. You can't take the engineer. And the then person. were you about to say, but you can't you take, take the firm, firm out of the, the engineer? engineer and, and, then, like, and then I'm going to stop. And then you threw on the brakes, and yeah. then I jumped on it, and then here we are because we want to make it worthwhile to everybody that's been tuned in for oh, an hour geez. and twenty four minutes. Oh, so geez. Harry Hill, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a transition where no one can get in trouble. <laughs> well played. <laughs> oh, that's a lot less awkward. That's a we'll have to navigate that with with a lot less uh, careful nature. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't even I'm afraid to look at the live chat right now, so I'm not going to. But let me get back to this. Do we have to get serious again? We should get no, just for a second because we really appreciate uh, a big part of the question of the week is when you take the time to write in your thoughts. I mean, you can vote like yes or no or on the sliding scale or 1 out of 10 or whatever. And it gives us great insight. But we got 14 pages here, and these are some of the comments like, you know, uh, serious responses you know, who could replace Jason Kenny? Brian Jean, Ronna Ambrose. Ronna Ambrose could have been prime minister yeah. and she didn't want to be right. I mean, do you agree? You, you just you just like you knee jerked. You were like, yep. Right. I think the it's not lost on most people that follow politics in Canada that if she if she had been able while she was interim leader to run for leader of the CPC, she'd probably be prime minister. She would. She would yeah. be prime like minister. I, I, I think that she she would have been incredibly strong against Justin Trudeau. Yeah. She's probably the best leader that party's ever had in my opinion even though she was in term well yeah. yeah i mean uh, yeah depending on the metric or depending on whatever i mean i remember interviewing her when she took that interim leader role saying like why are you doing it like you know you would be a formidable leader for this party people are basically begging for it and i think that she could have hit trudeau on so many fronts in 2019 i think she would have won the election she doesn't want to she didn't want to for whatever reason so so there's I mean, I don't speak on behalf of her. I don't have any insight, uh, you know, personally. It's not like we text or anything, but there's no way in hell that she's coming to be the premier. She didn't want to be the prime minister. You know, why would she want to be the premier of Alberta? I don't think so. 
Adriana Lagrange, one of you uh, or several of you had suggested Casey Madu, maybe Tyler Shandro, Pat Rain, <laughs> Pat Rain, who's sitting as an independent right now out of uh, Slave Lake. You remember? Um, there's no Dave Hancock, so to speak. That's the observation that the team at Y Station made. There, there's really that sort of era, at least it seems right now, in this current manifestation of the conservative politics i mean the, the the conservative party of note let me say with no disrespect to the other grassroots and so-called fringe parties this this is the conservative party in alberta right now i know some of you from the wild rose independence party and we all pissed at me for saying that i'm talking about by the numbers i'm talking about who got a million votes last election right i'm talking about who's raising millions of dollars right now and and who currently occupies the government's offices that's what i'm talking about but that that so-called progressive side that we saw with the pcs where you might actually have cabinet ministers, provincial PC cabinet ministers that might actually vote for the federal liberals from time to time, though they may not advertise it. That, that, that era appears to be in a bit of a downswing right now in the province of Alberta and maybe in other provinces as well. I'd be curious for our audience members in Ontario to chime in on that. There were some less serious responses as well. I mean, with regards to who you think could be the next leader. Uh, one of you nominated your cat. Um, one of you nominated a clown. Uh, one of you said that they are all bad choices. Someone voted for Bullwinkle, which was a bit of an interesting reference. A potato, a baboon, an old jar of mayonnaise, an inanimate carbon rod, a tree stump, Donald Duck, a, a potted, f- is it ficus? Ficus? I would say ficus. A potted ficus with a Stetson on it. Can potted... F- is, it, is it a white Stetson? Is, is ficus plural ficus or ficuses or fikes? Listen, I had the answer for octopuses. Yes. But I do not have the answer Which, for this. But, but you know what? By the way, you blew my mind on that one. <laughs> You're welcome. I would, have been, I would 100%. I actually thought it was, to be honest, no offense to you, Sarah. You're such a great add to the team. You know I'm not... I don't mean any offense. But when you posted the question asking what is plural octopus and octopuses octopi, I was like, stupid question. No offense. You were relatively new at the time. I was like, we're going to have to we're going to have to talk to her about these stupid questions. And then I got it wrong. Boom. We learn something new every day. Boom goes the dynamite. Today we've learned about Harry Hill. The other day we learned about octopuses. My question was, can a potted ficus drive a blue pickup truck? If so, you may be able to get elected in Alberta. Thank you to those of you that nominated me. I think my chances of leading that party are probably shot. And then a note from Chris Henderson, who's the chief strategist at Y Station. He says the rest of the responses were very mean and I could not add them here. So (laughs) it would indicate to me that some of you had a great deal of fun with our question of the week. Thank you to those of you that filled it out. You look like you have something very important to say, Sarah Hoyles. Very important. Yeah. Plural of ficus. Oh, oh, geez. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> is just like octopuses. Ficuses? Ficuses. Okay. Interesting. And did you know? No, I didn't. <laughs> that the ficus is technically a weeping fig. A weeping fig. That sounds like a great insult for somebody if you don't want to use profanity. <laughs> You're nothing but a weeping fig. Look at you. <laughs> What Look are you at doing? you. You're just a. You're, you're, it sounds you're, very Monty Python esque. A weeping fig. Like yeah. <laughs> and then if I was in, if I was caring for it, it would be the weeping fig that's not dead yet, <laughs> buddy. Has that thing had water in a month? <laughs> the thing is, 
The thing is just dying on the... Well, it's merely a flesh wound. wound. So that's not one, but two fact checks from Hoyles. Well, well, I don't know if the other one is technically a fat che- fact check as opposed to more uh, um, a more fulsome examination of some of the surrounding and supporting details. Just another thing that I bring. <laughs> you know, what we should do is do the I love this on these uh, sports talk shows where they have, you know, they can call this. I think one of them calls the segment. You blew it. Mm. I think on PTI, they call it. You blew it. Um, so your assignment which I think I don't know why I see this gleam in your eyes right now. I feel like you would really enjoy this assignment would be to find ways because I just because, you know, every real talkers that are watching on YouTube right now. know this is what you'd be looking at me like through the plexiglass. It'd be very intimidating. But you just be your job would be to find ways where I'm blowing it, where my questions are off, where my references are off. It's better for the audience. Well, right? you didn't know smiles, which is, you know, smiling with your eyes, which yeah, was but, a crime. But some things I'm uh, some things are actually sort of badges of honor if you don't know about them as much. Like if you were to say to me, if you were to say, um, hey, I booked a guest to talk about systemic racism. And I was like, what systemic race? What kind of malarkey is systemic? Then you'd be like, ooh, not exactly a badge of honor. However, if I don't know a reference about smize, it means that I'm probably, uh, you know, I, I'm, the television that I that I invest my time in is probably a bit more meaningful. It's probably a little bit more top shelf. I've probably not spent all my time on TikTok. You know, the younger pop culture references, while I do attempt to remain as woke as possible, every once in a while not knowing about something like that is a bit of a pat on the back, don't you think? Absolutely. That's why I didn't watch Tiger king is it tiger king oh now that's just a tragedy <laughs> are you serious let's agree to disagree on this one i went back and, and i was listening to the spit and chicklets podcast with Connor mcdavid a while back because a buddy was telling this is like a year ago or something um i had to go way back into their archive but a buddy said hey he, did you hear him talking about his home builder i had no idea that Connor mcdavid actually had like a big dust up with his home builder and and spoke publicly about it which is remarkable considering how sort of protective like his his image is very you know you think you know Sidney Crosby Wayne Gretzky Mario Lemieux Connor McDavid they all kind of carry themselves in that same way right these are the top shelf a list hall of fame greatest of all time type guys he was really candid uh, talking about that Uh, anyway the point is don't worry there is a point I don't promise a point every time but there is one this this time there is so he's talking about his house you can check out his house, by the way, featured in, in Edify magazine in a past issue. Um, you know, the current issue of Edify we're pretty excited about. But you can check out the past issue and tour Connor McDavid's home. And so the guys are asking him, did you have a did you have a theater room? Did you build a theater room? I mean, obviously. Right. No, nah, I wanted to, but I just couldn't find the budget. No, he did build a theater room. And he said, so it's been great for, you know, watching like Netflix, like Tiger King. And they're like, did you really watch Tiger King? He goes, oh, yeah. And I just I just loved it. I don't know why I, I just think stuff like that is so funny. You know, the greatest player in the world, this all time athlete, just just amazing, just sitting and just mental bubblegum, you know, just just watching Tiger King. You have to watch it. It is. I, I won't keep going. I off will on it. not. I, I will don't even not. I don't even have the credibility of you have my octopus teacher, which everybody I recommended that and everybody seemed to love. And now you, you just won't give me credibility and you won't give me the benefit of the doubt on Tiger King. Just the silent treatment, too. OK, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Well, then. I'm, I've set a boundary. That is my boundary. This no is what I've learned. Tiger King. This is what I've learned. When you reach loggerheads like this, you remind people that the team at Westworld Computers 
for more than 40 years has been family owned and operating. And they've, of course, they've got all the, the Mac lineup, whatever you need, your Apple Watch, iPhone, iPad, MacBook. IMac, you get the whole nine yards, the whole lineup. Sonos and, and Beats and JBL and all the audio stuff you're looking for, too, if you want to really ramp up your summer experience. But it's their fully authorized Apple service department. They're trained technicians with 40 years of experience. They can upgrade or fix any Apple product. And here's the thing. When you do it, every once in a while, they're going to look and say, you know, this thing's maybe seen better days. Well, they have this trade-up program, and Westworld is proud to give you the highest value for your trade. They'll even transfer your data to your new Apple product in complimentary fashion. You can learn more or book your appointment for service at westworld.ca. I saw this post from Friesen Brothers yesterday. I wanted to share it with you. This is fantastic. This is out of their South Edmonton store. It's their 15th store in Alberta for more than 65 years. They've been Alberta grown and Alberta owned. Check out what they're doing. You can follow them on Instagram at Friesen Brothers. They've got their rooftop planters going. And so they're going to be growing things like fresh basil for the the pizzas that are coming fresh out of their pizza ovens on site. I've had some of that pizza. It's absolutely deadly. You have to check it out. Grab it on the go. Or when we all can, again, you can enjoy it in their restaurant, their craft beer on tap, you know, the whole nine yards. Did I tell you, too, you know, they're keeping bees now? They have plans to keep bees at Friesen Brothers? How cool is that? I'm not surprised. It's great. At all. Like, you know, this looks amazing. So I cool. I rooftop planters. I know. We need to get, like, a rooftop patio up there. Maybe we right? could do real oh, talk live. rooftop live, rooftop patio. Rooftop real talk. Rooftop real talk. Rooftop real talk. At Friesen Brothers, Alberta Grown. And Alberta owns. You look like you have ideas. You're cooking up ideas right now. Just write that down. I was all I was going to say. Just write that down. Yeah. And let's take a look through camera four right now. This is a kind of a, I don't know if it's a sad day here. Um, we have mixed feelings. Uh, it feels kind of like a, you know, your, your kid's going off to university. <laughs> <laughs> Sherry the cherry tree. Sherry. This is her last day in studio. We're going to get her into the ground at the Hoyles residence. That's right. The team at Eden Landscaping is, is coming to swing by our studio today, all masked up. They're going to load up Sherry, and they're going to uh, find you know a spot to to establish her in her new home. How are you feeling? I mean, I'm in this way, you're you're graduating the child to university, but you're also you you are the university. I li- I like that. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I mean, it's really a goodbye for you you two. Sam and I are gonna. I think what we're gonna have to do is we'll wait until next summer when she's really producing, and then. Maybe we can come over in the still of the night, uh, assuming your dogs and security system aren't going to preclude us from doing this. And maybe, Sam, we could kind of steal all the steal all the cherries before Hoyles realizes so we can all kind of benefit. You know what I mean? Right. Or maybe you could do all the hard work of harvesting them, washing them, and then present them to us in a really generous way, like, you know, pre-washed in a Ziploc bag so we could... Right. I have all kinds of those, ideas. Those are on, options. We've I, got options. I have all kinds of ideas on on sort of servant leadership and, and generosity and <laughs> how this can all benefit Sam and I because we don't get to hang out with Sherry every day, but you do. What this was in all seriousness was the team at Eden Landscaping hearing us. <laughs> we had a vision. As a matter of fact, it was it was it was audience member Lauren's vision that we should have yep. a, a tree in studio so you can hug it all the time. And uh, and the team at Eden heard it. And they and they jumped and they said, this is a perfect example of how we hear people's dreams and we turn them into reality. You can learn more at Landscape Edmonton. Everybody's excited for Cherry right now. James says, bye. Donna says, bye. Bye, Sherry. Everybody's saying bye. Caitlin says, we're going to get her into the ground. Uh, so this is, uh, yeah, it's a big day for us. I have kind of, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get, I'm getting a little overclipped. I'm getting a little choked up, but. I think we'll be all right. We're all going to we're going to be happy to see her shine. 
I can share, you know, photos periodically, updates, maybe the weather report from Sherry. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I like this. I like where we're going with this. It's, it's not. It's not goodbye. It's just see you later. It, it. It's. It's not see you never. It's see you soon. That's right. We're coming up with all the, you know, Hallmark. We better be careful. Hallmark's going to give us a contract. <laughs> Do we have Albert Nobbs ready to rock and roll? I'm looking for. I, I don't even know what's going on right now with Albert Nobbs. All I know is that he was on the show a couple of weeks ago as punched face guy uh, basically the guy that got jumped uh, by a bunch of anti-maskers uh, he's been a chalk warrior he, he's he's been a he, he's been an activist in his communities demanding better from his governments and now he is occupying the alberta legislature a- am i accurate to this point my friend i would say so uh would say it's more like occupying myself an occupation usually implies more than one person but it's just me i'm here by myself uh, I've got a lot of support from people online. I've been getting sent food and uh, lunches and stuff. A guy from Calgary bought me uh, bought me lunch, which skipped the dishes yesterday. That was really nice. Like they had the, someone from Calgary I'm, ordered it and had it dropped off at the ledge. Straight up. Wow. Straight up. Why are you there? What's the story? Yeah, it's been, uh, I'm. This all kicked off when uh, when the legislature session got pushed again. And I just got fed up. I mean, you know how, I, how I've been getting fed up and just doing things. But I had an idea in my head to just, because I had the time and because I could afford to, because I understand the subject matter pretty well, I figured I would camp out on the legislature grounds. I would get a petition going and try and make a fuss, at least getting people talking, getting some civic discourse, and maybe getting a bit more citizen engagement, which really is the thing that we need right now. So how long have you been there, Albert, and how long do you plan on staying? This is day five. Um, I have not yet successfully stayed on the grounds yet. Uh, the Minister of uh, Infrastructure himself actually has uh, rejected my requests to remain on the grounds. But this is day five, and I'm going to keep doing it until I'm confident I can't make a difference anymore. So what are you ultimately hoping to achieve here? I mean, obviously, public dialogue. Uh, you're obviously endeavoring to get people talking. But what's what's your end goal, or how will you know if you've reached it? Well, the petition itself, uh, has three parts. The first is the resignation of the UCP caucus. The second is a September election. And the third part is the handoff of the pandemic response to municipalities and AHS. Uh, the reason I'm doing it in this way is just because our ability to protest effectively has, has been curtailed. That's not the government's fault, technically. That's That's just been something imposed upon all of us. But while that's not their fault, it is still their job to facilitate our ability to express ourselves properly. And we can't, we can't be a mob, right? We can't uh, get together and march or occupy as a group or anything like that. But I could be a guy camping out and devoting a lot of time and bringing a lot of attention persistently to this issue. That is the most effective thing that I can do right now with regards to protesting. And I feel that right now we don't really have much of a choice but to engage and to really consider what's at stake. Our government is extremely dysfunctional. I mean, let's look at this objectively. The teachers hate the education minister. The doctors hate the health minister. The municipal affairs minister made such an ass of himself that he got yanked. And now he's screwing up as minister of justice. The parks and environment minister tried to privatize a bunch of land and exploit it. These 
guys aren't very competent. I, I think that's becoming more and more more and more clear, and we need them to resign. We can't afford two more years of this sort of dysfunction. Can I be the? Can I? Even I, I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the cynic. No, please. Uh, but as as the realist, um, and mm-hmm. I'm not taking away from your your. I, I appreciate your demonstration. I, I love that you're an engaged citizen, and I love that you put your money where your mouth is. You put your time. You invest your time. Um, but you know they're not resigning. There's no chance. Uh, you know they're not. So where do you see this going? I know. Well, I see this as a point of engagement. I know that the. Even if I got 10,000, 100,000 signatures on this on this, uh, this petition, change.org forward slash drop the UCP, by the way. Um, even if I got 100,000 signatures, they don't have to accept. They don't have to do anything. And they have full control over our, over our institutions. So the most important thing is to inform the voter base, inform the citizenship, and get people talking to each other and engaging with each other. Because we, we don't have healthy civil discourse in this province. We have some profound polarization and an awful lot of, well, arguably ignorance and blindness. We've been so stuck in doing the same thing forever. And now it's taken us here. And the only way for us to go any further is to reckon with what we are and the choices that we've made and what actually is of value right now. And that, that only happens with the citizens because these, these guys don't really give a shit. They're, they're there for their reasons, not necessarily for ours. What's what's going on? I, I see a couple of people say there's a rally planned uh, for today at the Alberta legislature. We can we can oh, hear yes. what it sounds like. There's some scaffolding going on uh, behind you. We hear the hammers. What, what's going on? Well, we do have uh, there is some construction going on. Oh, I see. Oh, OK. Right now. Got it. Got this it. is this is actually the second time they've uh, been doing this. It's unrelated. I mean, let's be honest. If there was a time to do maintenance and construction on the building, it would be during a pandemic. But as to the rally, yes, there's uh, a particularly interesting mob of misfits coming down to the legislature today, being led by supposedly Chris Skye, that interesting uh, coked up juice monkey that's probably spent more time with cocaine than he has with books. But anyways, <laughs> okay, so they're going to be here. So, so hang on a second. So it's not a it's not a rally of people on your team. Is what I'm guessing. Is what no. I'm. Not, I've not heard about this. No. My apologies. Okay, so are you concerned? Uh, you know about your safety i mean i chris sky was recently arrested in ontario for threatening to kill some elected officials and then nearly running over a cop and that was like two weeks ago so i mean he is a nut job there's there's no other way to look at it chris sky is this, this, oh this is uh, the anti-mask guy that was yeah, hanging out yeah, with like he's uh bananas right brian lilly he's one of the old unholy He's one of the unholy trifecta, him and Kevin Johnston and that Artur Pulowski clown. Yeah, the, the, the other but, two guys that um, were arrested a short time nuts. ago. But the sheriffs and so on that are on the grounds, they're on top of the ship like 24-7. They know they know they were, they're coming, and they keep an eye on this stuff like a hawk. I, I'm probably as safe as I can be here. Have you? Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just reading about Chris Sky here. Brian Lilly, the columnist writing, Chris Sky carries a dangerous message. This was a column that was posted uh, like, you know, hours ago, 15 hours ago. Chris, uh, I, mean, guy, I, I don't mean I'm not taking swipes at Brian Lilly, but if if Brian Lilly is saying that you carried, he's typically a little more open minded to some fringe right wing voices. If Brian Lilly's writing a public column on how this guy carries a dangerous message, m- my assumption is this guy carries a dangerous message. Well, the thing is, a lot of these anti-masker folk, they'll, they have a message that they want to say, 
And I mean, this all started with, what was it, Bill 21 and some serious concerns about how that was uh, put into play. And over time, it, it morphed into something that's more, you know, anti-science. But you still get those people that are doing these rallies because they have an ideal they believe in. And you'll always have, you know, some crazy fringe people following them around. But Chris Skye is not like that. He he not only ingests this, you know, Orwellian horseshit, but he regurgitates it, too. And that, I think, is one of the things that makes him pretty dangerous. That and his, his classic narcissism. Um, but, I mean, this guy's... I would say circling the drain. He's got a lot of pending legal action and nobody really takes him seriously. I suspect this is really just the last real gasp of the, uh, of the anti-science movement. I, I feel hope like, it fizzles I feel out like, from here on out. I'm not a wimp. You know that, but I feel like you should get out of there today. Is that, has it crossed your mind? I, 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 I don't know if anything, I, you're going to have a huge, I don't mean to say this. You're going to have a huge target on your back down there today. How are you? How are you? Like, are you, are you considering maybe going for a walk for a little while? I'm going to stay where I am. I'm not going to be going up to where they're starting the demonstration, but I'm going to be going somewhere that's got some good, uh, you know, visibility and so on. I'm not going to leave here. This is, um, this is, this is my town. Yeah. I, I live here. Yeah. No, I'm I not guess- going to let this psychopath push me off of this territory. I guess it's kind of the whole point of you being there. Uh, at the very least, you have an N95 mask. I do. I've got, uh, I've got a good old fashioned ventilator. Oh, I bought yeah. a bunch of them uh, in March of 2020. A bunch of my friends were in New York, so uh. I sent a bunch of them off and kept one for myself. So you've got this... Um, um, comes in handy. Yeah, I bet. Change.org is where people can find this petition. They can just search the hashtag drop Forward the UCP. Slash. Yep. Go ahead, Albert. Yeah. Yeah, for just forward slash drop the UCP on change.org, and you'll find it. Yeah. I mean, it's on, it's on my Twitter and, and so on as well. I've been trying to get into TikTok, but it makes me feel old. Yeah, I signed up for I'm it. I haven't done it that. yet, though. But I keep I, I keep realizing that it's where the future is going. Uh, I got to get on TikTok. I, do I? I don't know. That's not the point. I, re- of this I really enjoyed your Hailception stuff, by the way. That was fun. My- hey, anyways, <laughs> like the like Harry Hill, two hills and three hills. One hill, two hill, three hill, four hill. We're Hail thinking Hail-ception. of. I mean, I'm. I don't. I don't know why we wouldn't do a real talk road trip and do shows from. We will do a show atop Harry Hill. And then we'll we'll, we'll search. We've come got up. all these. We've got all these weird places in the province. Like you know, we got the town of Vulcan and Killam and Love all these weird places. I think we even have hell. I think, isn't there hell, Alberta? Well, I think the best one I is. Isn't there an intercourse Saskatchewan or something like that? Or oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, there's an. That's, eyebrow. A, that's almost as good as dildo. Yeah. Is yes. there? There is a place called yeah. dildo. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, in, in, in exactly yes. where you. I think it's expect. in New Brunswick. What do you mean in exactly? It's where in you... Newfoundland. Oh. Dildo, Newfoundland. <laughs> Sam. Newfoundland. Yeah. What do you? Yeah, mean? Jimmy Kimmel was like really repping this thing for a long time. I need small print um, right now across yeah, the side of this. The, the the views expressed by our technical producer are not representative of the views of Real Talk nor our sponsors. I absolutely adore Newfoundland. <laughs> Just a huge swipe at Newfoundland. <laughs> was not. A swipe. Okay, we promise. We'll I, I do just want to say though. I do just want to say, though, that we do still have two more years of this uh, administration that we've got going on. And I, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we have a lot of challenges in this province. We have an enormous deficit. Uh, the income of this province has never been worse. Our ability to export our energy is uh, critically broken and won't get any better. Pipeline politics aren't going to get any easier as time goes on. And we can't just be raging against reality, which is what 
a lot of Alberta administrations have done in the past. The next two years are going to be very formative for us. Now, I don't really think we can afford to let this go on autopilot. We have to bring attention to these things. If the UCP isn't going to resign, even after all these challenges and confidence, we need to be engaged because we need to be ready. Albert, I admire your conviction, man, and I and uh, I'm grateful that you've made time for us on the show today. And and I wish you uh, my pleasure, good fortune and safety. And I know you'll make smart decisions and all that kind of stuff. If people want to follow you, just your, your Twitter account is probably the best way to do it. Is that that that? Or are you on Instagram too? Um, I not anymore. I I don't have enough time to keep up with all this social media stuff. I, I go on Twitter and it's like 50 notifications. I yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah. But Twitter is the best way to get in touch with me by okay. far. That's um, at Albert underscore knobs. Send me a DM if you want. Yeah, your mm-hmm. DMs are open. Send me a that- DM if you really want. No, I'll, I'll, I'll chat with you. All right, guys, slip into his DMs or go say hi. Bring the guy a sandwich. Um, you know, and hot food uh, is always welcome. Hot no food. more water. I have way too much water. Lots of water. And too much water. you're probably not crushing beers out there on the legislature grounds. Say hey, you don't want to be, you don't want to become a heat score. So yeah. All right, buddy. No, uh, I got, I got tons of snacks. I got enough protein to feed a village right now. So, you know, if you want to sign a petition, you want to share it around, you want to come and visit and talk and maybe bring me some hot food. That's always welcome. All right, Albert. I love it. You know, the guy that, that uh, you know, walks the walk, so to speak. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Yeah, real pleasure, man. Thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, you got it. That's Albert Knobs. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Albert underscore Knobs. Somebody that cares very deeply about his community and 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 he and he's living. He's he's you know occupying the legislature, so to speak. I mean, he's camping out there to to send a message. Um, on the on the real chat, I know that some people are a little little bit concerned about his safety. Yeah, you know, it'd be kind of cool maybe if some people went down there and hung out with him. Yes, I could probably do that, although I'll probably not. I, I have a feeling if I were to show up and this other guy was to show up that it might, I, you know what I mean? Might be a little bit combustible. Although maybe we could just go live on Instagram and just see what happens. That's more of an Ezra Levant move than a me move, you know, to show up and stir things up like that. Joe lets us know that uh, out in Newfoundland, there's a dildo brewery. And he says, I have the T-shirt, but my wife won't let me wear it. <laughs> Um, there is Conception Bay, Newfoundland, Harry Hole, Newfoundland. Um, my thesis was Newfoundland has a sense of humor. Yeah. They're good at laughing at themselves. Oh, oh no, Sam, you've already called on the whole province. You're, yeah, okay. you're in serious trouble. Right? They're, they're, they're on their way over. They're, they're, they're on their way down from Fort McMurray <laughs> downwards with you. Oh, there's a truck convoy coming for me. Oh yeah. Um, people are pointing out and I did make a mistake. I mean, to, you know, just and, uh, Sarah Hoyles, like the fact checker, like, are you ready to jump in and remind me that it was not intercourse Saskatchewan? It's intercourse Pennsylvania, but it is climax Saskatchewan. Right. There's also an elbow and an yeah. eyebrow Saskatchewan. Eyebrow Saskatchewan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. James says, Jesper, I think you'd give Chris Sky the oxygen he desperately wants. I mean, here I am saying his name. I don't know much about the guy. I just know that there was some he was filmed, some video showing up. It's I think he was out. If I'm thinking of the same guy, he came out for the Grace Life Church 
thing. Remember the the the, the uh, fence went up around Grace Life Church, and a bunch of people were showing up, like this Kevin J. Johnston guy, the mayoral candidate out of Calgary. That's that's basically like just a a, a bigoted jerk that's been convicted in court that owes a lot of money as part of a a civil suit that was ruled against him. He was selling coffee with horrific sort of racist branding on him. And this guy's just a real piece of work uh, running for mayor down in Calgary. And then you've got this Arthur Pavlovsky, these two brothers um, that were organizing a lot of these things. They got arrested. You remember on the side of the Deerfoot, we showed you that video a while back, Calgary police arresting them for organizing these big church gatherings. It's what had prompted my, and I'm pretty sure if this is the same guy, that's the same guy that was, that was, you know, they were shooting videos and if you go, yeah, we're on our way to the rally and they, they're not going to know what's coming. They're not going to know what hit them. And the only thing I could think about at the time is, can you imagine being like a, if I can just use the language for a second, can you imagine being a Christ follower? Can you imagine being a congregant? Can you imagine being a member of this church and these are the guys that are jumping to your defense? These are the guys that are speaking to the media and that are posting videos from outside the fence of your church. These are the guys that are representing you when it comes to the public discourse around the issue. I mean, it would be appalling for anybody with any sense of 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 what i mean i don't get need to get too religious and use the terminology here but like agape love or or what being christ-like would look like. i mean these are the guys that are representing you that's when you know you're on the wrong side of the issue my friends in this case you are on the wrong side of the fence in this case you're following the false prophets you guys are in serious trouble that community is gonna have but you know what the more that we talk like this i'm off on a tangent right now the more they're gonna feel alienated the more they will become emboldened because their leadership will say you look at this right this is secular society turning against you you're right to i mean geez these are the things that go on in my mind you, you worry about talking about this kind of stuff Absolutely. We have to talk about it. That idea. And, and I, and I understand James point where he says, I, you know, I can give this guy, we, we can, we can give these guys oxygen and there are issues that we do not talk about. There are people whose names I don't mention on the show intentionally because it will make them famous. It will, for, it will put them on people's radar where they don't deserve. But other times you can't ignore this stuff. The watcher says that image of the Pavlovskis, the brothers getting arrested and, and sort of essentially hogtied is so much better with the Calgary Stampede logo added on top of it. That from the watcher. <laughs> Want to remind you that the teams at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park Dairy Queens like really you're going to roll in hot off of that into our ad read. Hey, I'll tell you this, Dairy Queen, everybody's paying close attention right now. So if you have a pen or pencil out. Or maybe you just need to commit this to memory. The six locations we're talking about that, that Mark and Michelle and Michael own are Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. Till the end of May, you got about five days left-ish. Uh, hang on. 30 days has to be April, June, end of it. Okay, yeah. Um, $1.99 peanut buster parfaits. It's great if you can roll it. You just say... Um, I'd like the peanut butter parfait Jespo style. You can say I'm a real talker. I'd like my peanut butter parfait. And you're going to see him ring it in on the drive-thru menu. And it's going to go boom. And it's going to go $1.99. You're going to go, what? I thought these were like six bucks. And they will say, you, you would be right. This is not coming on the police scanner. I'm, this is my best drive-thru voice. But because you're a real talker, because you name drop me, they're going to give you peanut butter parfaits for $1.99. This is the, the layers of creamy vanilla soft surge. This is the rich, hot fudge. And of course, the peanuts. 
topped off with DQ's trademark curl and red spoon. If you're looking for a new whip to pull your trailer this summer, you know you don't look any further than Ram. I mean, this is the award-winning truck that Albertans have come to know and love across Canada. Canadians pulling fifth wheels, Canadians getting out into the bush or doing it in their Ram. The the half ton, the three-quarter ton, and then that big one ton I had a chance to drive a while ago. You don't even feel it. We were pulling a boat behind a one. You don't even feel it. You don't even know there's a boat behind you. With the Ram One Ton, they have a better selection at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge than you'll find anywhere else in the province. They share their inventory. That's better news for you. And a quick reminder that our friends at Kubi Energy present Positive Reflections, our first show of every week. Yesterday's was so wonderful. Are you kidding me? When we went out on the singing Kipper the Beagle, by the way, we had a follow-up email. He said, yes, Kipper was indeed a, a purebred Beagle. He was. Our, our eyes were right. What a beautiful, beautiful expression of the love we have with our feathered or furry family members. The hairy ones, too, atop Harry Hill. There's Kipper. We wouldn't have these positive reflections without the team at Kubi's support. You know, they're installing solar projects across Western Canada right now. All their installers, Tesla certified. These are electrical apprentices and certified electricians. You know the job's being done right. Kubi can help you realize your sustainability goals today. Give them a shout or check them out online at kubienergy.ca. Want to let you know tomorrow we're going to talk to Dr. Taysin Lada. We're going to find out more about kids and vaccines. So many of you, the young families that are watching even grandparents teachers have some questions we're going to get to those right out of the gates and we're, we're going to have a little fun when right meow when we talk to the team at cat fest that's coming up tomorrow on real talk we'll see you then